from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Happy New Year. I'm Tyne Morgan, and welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. As we close out 2022 and say hello to 2023, here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. From the war in Ukraine to weather's impact, on the markets. Who you do business with depends on who you're friends with, and that changes freight. It increases costs of freight. It decreases the efficiencies of the market. What the markets taught us this year. As we look ahead to 2023, will the cattle markets be greeted by the bulls? For the stretch, I'm as bullish this market as I ever get. What to watch for livestock in the year ahead. And in John's world. Looking at 22 in the rear view mirror. Well, this New Year's weekend, we are taking a look back at the biggest stories of 2022. From the war to the crippling impact of supply chain issues, 2022 will be a year that we remember for years to come. January 2022 began where 2021 left off with rising input prices. This input prices, this is crazy. You know, last year we were buying in hydrogen for, you know, $420 a ton. Um, I got a bid yesterday, it was thirteen fifty a ton for anhydrous. I mean, that's pushed our corn up another 24 bushel to break even price. I mean, that's, that's huge. Add to it higher diesel prices. The surge, driven in part by supply chain challenges. Everything from inflation to war, even labor. At one point last January, authorities at the Marine Exchange of Southern California counting up to 109 ships waiting to port. The issue partly driven by volume. During our fiscal year, which ended this past June 30th, we processed even more cargo. More than 10.8 million container units from July of 2020 to June of 2021, and another 5 million from July until the end of the year. That's 18 consecutive months of record cargo volume, including last May, the first month we ever surpassed 1 million TEUs. By the end of the year, signs of hope. Officials declaring the backup of ships at the state's southern port over, with the number of vessels in queue falling to zero at the end of November. It ends two years of backlogs and one of the most visible signs of supply chain turmoil during the pandemic. Congress also stepping in to prevent a railroad strike late in the year. By December, reports showed factories, railroads, ports, warehouses, and freight yards operating at close to their pre-pandemic levels from two years ago. Also, early in 2022, Russia invaded Ukraine in February. We were covered with dust, just dust and shrapnel all the way here. I fell to the ground, crawling, not feeling my legs or arms. It was scary. For those who have not gone through this, you would not believe it. The war raising concern about the impact of moving ag goods out of the country as Ukraine is one of the world's major exporters and suppliers of grains to countries facing famine. But when you think about 31% of world wheat trade being domiciled in Ukraine and Russia, you know, 30% of world corn trade and then 31, or barley trade, excuse me, and then the, somewhere around 29% of sun oil trade, it's a really big deal. And so, you know, the U.S. farmer's prominence has really stepped forward today regarding his position to feed the world. And the Chicago Board of Trade is reflecting that. Further west in 2022, the region experiencing its worst drought in 1,200 years. 
Livestock producers were forced to sell cattle early because of a shortage of hay and water. We're just trying to reduce number, trying to reduce how many we're feeding um, because there's no grass and the hay we have is not going to last us through the winter. Meanwhile, not weather but disease hitting poultry producers. The latest bird flu outbreak becoming the largest foreign animal disease outbreak in U.S. history. USDA confirming more than 57.5 million birds were impacted by highly pathogenic avian influenza in 2022. Plenty of records did fall in 2022, including record land prices. This year, values jumped another 17%, or more than $1,600. They now average $11,411 an acre in Iowa. In November, farmland in Sioux County sold for $30,000 to the acre. There's a lot of money in the farm sector, and for people that see that farm that they really want, they've got money to pay that, and so those values will stay pretty strong. One thing starting to weigh on real estate prices, interest rates. In 2022, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates seven times in an effort to slow down double-digit inflation. When I sit down to order, I go through three vendors to figure out where am I going to get the best price on eggs? Where am I going to get the best price on butter? I went from pre-pandemic paying almost $15 for a 50-pound bag of flour, and now I'm up to $28 for a bag of flour. And while drought was the major weather feature for 22, the Gulf Coast and Florida also battered by two hurricanes. As you can imagine, it is pretty devastating. You know, when that storm came, making landfall, uh, heavy wind, uh, rain, inundation, and the surge. And what it really does is left the, the, the place almost unrecognizable in some places. Hurricane Ian being the worst as it pushed through, putting 90% of Florida's citrus belt at risk. Now, it's estimated Hurricane Ian did almost $2 billion in damage to agriculture in Florida. 2022, a post-pandemic reawakening as farmers navigate a future littered with potholes and possibilities as the calendar turns to 2023. For U.S. Farm Report, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Well, weather was a big newsmaker in 2022, and we'll get a check of weather next. U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing, the widest cross conveyor in its class, 28 feet of full continuous merging and merge up to five 16-foot windrows into one in either direction. That's what you get with the H&S 6128 Twin Flex Merger. Find out more at the H&S website. Welcome back. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmer joins us now with the weather. Last weekend, Andrew, it was all about the big winter storm that arrived just before Christmas. But as we look at your longer term forecast, the warmer air has returned for this time of year. So how is the rest of January shaping up? And Tyne, we'll be watching again this polar vortex up to the north here and just around the Christmas holiday. We had a good chunk of this kind of break off into the lower 48. Well, now it's since retreated and it's back over into Siberia and what that'll mean for us here across much of the lower 48 is not as cold of the Arctic air outbreaks here and we'll be waiting for any of those little chunks that could come back into play for the second half of January and even on into uh, parts of February. But until that happens, we're going to kind of be in a neutral, if not a mild phase here, at least for the first half of January. Here's a look at the overall monthly temperature outlook here for January across much of the country. 
And much of us again are going to likely experience at or just slightly above average for many days here as we go throughout January, unless we can start to see some of those pockets of Arctic air trying to come back into play here for the second half of the month. And overall, as we kind of walk you through the rest of winter here, January, February, even on into uh, March again, and not really showing you a whole lot of cold here except up around the Pacific Northwest and parts of the Dakotas and Montana as well, likely could be looking at some intrusions of cold air. But that does not mean that we're completely dry here with the precipitation. We're still going to be watching several different systems likely ongoing here throughout the rest of winter, so no winter is not done yet. Uh, we'll likely see more waves of uh, snowfall across the parts of the Great Lakes, Midwest, as well as up across the uh, northern uh, Rockies there as we uh, round out the rest of winter. Let's check out the root zone map here where again, uh, not a whole lot has changed from last week, but again, we continue to highlight these exceptional extreme zones here down across the uh, far uh, eastern Colorado Rockies, as well as up around the uh, western half there of uh, Kansas, uh, northwestern portions there, southwestern portions of Nebraska dealing with those deeper reds. We really need the moisture down there as well as up around the Intermountain West. And as we take a look at the drought monitor here again, it does highlight that exceptional drought there mainly across a far western Kansas. And unfortunately, we're not going to see a whole lot in the way of moisture. We are watching one system, though, heading our way just as we turn that calendar over into 2023. Uh, fingers crossed that, that could bring with it uh, some significant amounts of precipitation. Meanwhile, we continue to watch the Intermountain West as far as then the West Coast as well. That'll be inundated with several waves of precipitation. Let's walk you through the jet stream here as we go throughout to this week and in fact into this new year here. Here we are paused on Monday here and overall we're going to be watching again a low pressure system kind of developing out of the Colorado Rockies. And as that does, uh, we're going to be watching again for waves of precipitation to kind of coming on through there. And that's going to bring with it a wintry side of the system as well as a severe side. Here we are paused Monday, January 2nd. We're going to be watching for a potential winter storm up across the north and pockets of severe weather to the south. And we're still going to be dealing with the effects of that through at least midweek here. Wednesday, January 4th, we'll start to see that system exiting off to the east. Well, weather was a major market mover in 2022, but what were the biggest lessons in the markets last year? Arlen Suderman and Chip Nellinger take a look next. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend, taking a look back at 2022. So we are doing the same with the markets. Arlen Suderman and Chip Nellinger joining us to do that. Arlen, a lot happened in the markets this past year, but what is the biggest lesson that we learned? Well, I think there are several things that I uh, took from this year. First of all, we saw geopolitical realignment across the globe, and that had to do with China and with Russia, most specifically with Russia, but now China aligning with uh, Russia. And so who you do business with depends on who you're friends with, and that changes freight, it increases costs of freight, it decreases the efficiencies of the market, created a lot of anxiety, uh, and countries became less comfortable with just-in-time supplies. So they started hoarding supplies. That gave us the first half of the year run-up in prices and a lot of volatility. And then the third thing is, it was the year of the algos, which totally changed how we use the derivatives markets. Traditional specs stepped aside from the market, especially in the wheat market and some of the others as well, as we saw overall volume spike but open interest go to multi-year lows, long-term lows. So the market price, the derivatives market was primarily driven by the algos, 
which really changed the behavior of the market and the way we approach the market. Yeah, Chip, in your mind, what did we learn this past year? Well, I think uh, one thing, uh, and I don't disagree with what Arlen said, I think one thing that uh, we learned this year is the markets still work. They still are going to uh, you know, respond to supply and, dem and demand fundamentals. They may become inefficient at times because of the algos and the massive amount of money flowing in and out of our markets. But that provides opportunity at times, too, both on the upside and the downside. So these markets still overshoot, but they are still responsive to fundamentals. And, you know, we've seen that, uh, you know, across the board in corn, beans and wheat at different times of the year. We've seen, you know, the market respond to tightening supplies and increasing demand. That is going to be there going forward. It's been, the, you know, the bellwether to our markets and what makes them function uh, in the past. And in spite of a lot of, um, you know, algo money and, and speculative money coming in and out of our markets at times, the fundamentals still matter uh, and that's going to drive things. And we're still going to respond to that. So that is a, a take home for me that in spite of all the geopolitical uh, turmoil that Arlen mentioned, our markets at the end of the day still work and respond to fundamentals. Can you compare this time to any other time in history, Arlen? I, you know, I've been in this for, for the past four decades plus, and I would say that the past year has been very unique in a lot of different ways when you put all the different things together. Each of the individual things you could probably say, oh, we had something like that in the past, but the composite of all of them I thought was very unique overall and makes it interesting, makes it fascinating from a pure student of the market standpoint, very frustrating to the producer, very frustrating to the end user. Uh, but as Chip said, you can still utilize the markets. It, you just have to take a different approach in how you do so and recognize it. Don't let your emotions get a hold of you. Have a plan in place. Probably more important than ever before to have that plan in place. It takes some of the emotions out of it. I think Arlen had a really great summary. Um, you know, I think it's similar to a drought year, uh, 2012, as the grain markets came off of you know, kind of a drought a year ago in South America, and then obviously our drought in the Western Corn Belt here. And, and that's going to really have ramifications going forward on our livestock markets as well. But at the end of the day, I think the question is going to be, can we continue to hold up our export markets in the face of rising, um, you know, inflation across the world, rising interest rates, maybe a slowing world economy? Can those exports hold together on both the beef and the pork? in the first half of 2023. Well, we are going to take a much deeper dive into 2023. What should you be watching as we head into the new year when it comes to the markets? We'll do that later here on U.S. Farm Report. Well, as we talked about in the news and the markets, 2022 is a memorable year. Some are positive, other events we'd like to forget. But John takes a look back at 2022 on the show this weekend. New Year's Day is an artificial time step. It is unassociated with any natural or celestial event such as a solstice and celebrated at the whim of different cultures. It was finally nailed down by an Italian pontiff, Pope Gregory XIII in the 16th century. His calendar was gradually adopted then all over the world, mostly because this was the heyday of Italian banking dominance in Europe and those powerful institutions had just invented overdraft charges and needed accurate dates. Just kidding. This New Year's Day strikes me as a good example of arbitrary natures of our chronological mile markers. Time is an ever rolling stream, as the hymn describes it, not a series of chapters. 
Much of what made 2022 memorable will likely be noteworthy in 2023, which I'll talk about shortly. Here are some of the unfinished business I think we'll see again. First, COVID, of course. The virus just won't quit, evolving with remarkable speed and finding the sweet spot between fatal and fickle, this tiny adversary reshaped politics, social behavior, and international relationships in 2022 around the globe. The human response to the pandemic hobbled our economies and throttled our expectations just when we thought it was yesterday's headache. Solar energy quietly overtook coal as the top source of U.S. electricity, even as the world used more coal than ever. Although forecast, this switch is years earlier than predicted just a decade ago. We discovered unemployment in the U.S. is less politically toxic than gasoline prices. In a world awash in wealth, many of our trusted economic rules of thumb caused financial fumbles, perplexing investors and governments alike. Relatively large rate increases by the Fed provoked less response than anticipated and often in the wrong direction. The yield curve, an upcoming ag explainer topic, tilted the wrong way, for example. Cryptocurrency proved utterly undecipherable. Russia decided to reinvent the stupidity of war. Even after some kinks were unwound, the supply chain for too many products remained snarled. Video streaming showed signs of overproduction. More people didn't attend more churches. Colleges scrounged for ever fewer students. 2022 uh, was the year the rivers actually ran dry, voiding many romantic promises. Farmers as a whole had an epic financial year, even after a more epic year in 21, which makes us really edgy about 2023. Thank you, John. And as he mentioned, he will explore 2023 later. Well, when we come back, the most popular tractor that we aired on the show this year. That's next. As we continue our 2022 review, the most popular Tractor Tales from this year that was posted on our Tractor Tales Facebook page is one from June of 2022. It's a Minneapolis Moline that seemed to capture the hearts of many thanks to a toast to the past. This week we've got a great family tractor story for you from Illinois. We're going to learn about a Minneapolis Moline U. So this is my grandpa's 1951 U. Um, he sold it when, uh, at his auction when he retired farming in 1976. And I started farming in 2003 and wanted to find this tractor. I spent a lot of time looking for it, calling auctioneers all over the country. And one popped up uh, just about five, six miles from here. And the serial numbers matched. It had been back of a guy's shed for years. And we weren't sure, just kind of after all the looking, couldn't believe it, and went over to look at it. And we found my grandfather's handwriting He'd actually written all over it before it was restored. We preserved a few of the spots, but uh, my dad wasn't too keen on buying. He's like, what do you want that old thing for? It's gonna be in the way. You know, that, we got there, we found Grandpa's handwriting. We had the manuals where it had his notes and everything in it. And dad's like, you gotta buy this tractor. I'm like, I know. <laughs> so I bought it and had it restored uh, by a guy down at Moeque, Illinois, and did a good job. It was a little rough when we first got it. It was running, but uh, not much more. They were using it to uh, just run an auger. Since Grandpa retired in 76, clear up until 2003, they'd drag it out of the shed, they'd run the auger, and they'd put it back in the shed. So it probably didn't have, you know, a mile on the tires, which are the tires that Grandpa had on it. 
nothing. Just parades and hay rides and uh, you know, tractor rides, stuff like that. I'm tempted to put it on August, but I don't think so. I think it'll just stay in the shed and stay clean. It'll never leave the farm as long as I'm alive. And you can watch more Tractor Tales on our Tractor Tales Facebook page or on our Farm Journal YouTube page. Well, when we come back from the grain outlook to a bullish take on cattle prices in 2023, we shift gears and explore what market analysts and economists are watching in the year ahead. That's next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Well, as 2022 comes to a close, grain farmers are optimistic about the year ahead. And as Clinton Griffiths found out, despite the headwinds of 2022, opportunity may be calling. The U.S. farm economy has farmers like Ben Renchi of Iowa optimistic about the future. One of the nation's top producers, his operation, Blue Diamond Farming Company, stretches across tens of thousands of acres in multiple states. Well, I think you can say that farming is a pretty good seat on the, on the bus in inflationary times. Uh, you know, our, our output is worth more. It's highly prized across the uh, end user space. Our asset values are probably stronger. Farmland, uh, the machinery we've got in our fleet already is worth more. Rinchi, a former Wall Street banker with Wells Fargo and the United Bank of Switzerland, has also worked abroad helping countries like Hungary adjust to a free trade economy. I've never been through an upcycle like this where I didn't wish that I used it to get ready for that rainy day. And get ready he is, as strong farm income is helping him reinvest. Net farm income in 2022 is forecast at $160.5 billion. Now that would be its highest mark since 1973, and more than 50% above its 20-year average when adjusted for inflation. Meanwhile, net cash farm income would be the highest since USDA started keeping these inflation-adjusted numbers back in 1929. The last two years have been exceptional uh, returns to row crop producers. Uh, livestock producers are starting to participate in the, the positive returns that are available because of the strength in the protein markets. Grain prices in 2022 picked up where 2021 left off, moving higher and staying there through the year. As we look at the upcoming planting season of the major crops, we are looking at some of the highest profitability levels of the past two decades, should farmers lock down these, uh, these margins and these prices. The Kansas City Fed agrees finances are strong, loan demand is slowing, and bankers say the risk of defaults or collapse remains extremely low. When we look at the lending side, we see high levels of liquidity. Uh, overall, we see very low levels of stress in the loan portfolios across the country. Ag bankers like Alan Hoskins, president of American Farm Mortgage Company, says the stability and certainty of modern crop insurance helps to limit downside risk. Unless we would see commodity prices fall off the table going into 2024, it would certainly look like the crop insurance is going to provide some pretty good guarantees. The Washington climate focus is also lifting a new demand driver for U.S. farmers. 
renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel. So we're now building out infrastructure for renewable diesel. We've got 23% increase in the U.S. crush rates coming over the next couple of years. Never before have we had 23 new crush facilities or uh, let's say upgrades occurring at the same time. This is something that we have not seen before and it will change the flow of soybeans and soy products. But that doesn't mean there won't be challenges ahead. After hitting 10 year highs in soybeans, corn and wheat, can prices go higher? We really haven't tipped over yet because we're not sure about South American production or, or next year and whether there's a drought, but that's in the back of my mind that that almost always happens, it's just how soon. On an input basis, on, on a margin basis, I think maybe we've already seen enough of a setback that we could we could begin another positive era in, in the farm economy going forward. It's really tough to predict that though because of the global dynamics. If the market were to see something like a recession or South America has big crops, uh, maybe the Black Sea, uh, the war is over, those kinds of things would cause declines in farm income and leave us in a precarious position. But heading into 23, we're in a good spot. The question is, what do we want to do with the market and the opportunities that are ahead of us? For U.S. Farm Report, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Thanks, Clinton. Well, do our market analysts agree? Arlen Suderman and Chip Nellinger rejoin us next. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. Arlen Suderman as well as Chip Nellinger rejoining us, this time looking ahead. We talked about it a little bit in the last roundtable, but when you look at 2023, a lot of people saying, hey, this could be the year for cattle, extremely bush, bullish cattle. Arlen, are you in that camp? Well, certainly the demand fundamentals would seem to be that way. If you look at what USDA is projecting for the coming year, we're looking at a 5% decline year on year in beef production in the first quarter increasing to where in the last half of the year it's down nine percent year on year down eight percent overall for the year so tightening up supplies and as we mentioned in previous segment improving exports china becoming one of our top export customers very quietly now and so that would seem to be very positive the question is is what is the consumer going to be willing to pay how is the economy going to play out yeah, Chip, I mean, what are your thoughts? There's no doubt that we have this tightening, tightening supplies that is a bullish factor, but that demand, that is the wild card. What are your expectations as we head into 2023? I think the other thing that's a wild card in this is going to be the weather. Uh, part of what we've seen the last two years with the drought in the West is, you know, massive breeding stock liquidation. Now, if we can get a little bit of, uh, you know, snowfall, some additional snowfall this winter, some rain this, uh, you know, this spring and get these pastures healed up a little bit, and getting uh, you know ranchers wanting to repopulate and put cattle back on their pastures, uh, then it becomes wildly bullish. So I think the weather is part of this equation as well, the rest of the winter and the first part of the spring. As we head into 2023, are you bullish grains? Yeah, I think a couple of things to keep in mind. First of all, looks like we're gonna go from a La Nina to an El Nino. And while it's not true every year, the tendency is for El Ninos to be good growing seasons in both North America and South America. So we could rebuild our supplies. Now, a lot of countries want to rebuild their supplies. They're not comfortable, as I said earlier, with just in time supplies. So they want to rebuild stocks a little bit. So it doesn't mean that we all of a sudden go into an immediate overstock situation, but it should ease the tightness of supply if that happens. But the other factor to keep in mind is I still think that we face some risk of commodity inflation, especially for energy prices. We're going to see China reopening at some point from its COVID outbreak. 
probably in the second quarter of the year, it should be good for the world economy, but it's especially going to increase energy consumption. And right now we've shut down a lot of production in the world, in Russia, um, rest of OPEC countries, even the shale oil production is going to be more and more difficult to expand here in the United States going forward in order to get the increased supply we need for a reopening world economy in the year ahead. And that could have implications for fertilizer prices and for commodities overall, for inflation overall. Uh, so bottom line, we start to increase supplies for corn and soybeans if we go to an El Nino, but commodity inflation could provide some support under the market and how these fund managers trade these, how they view the fundamentals of supply and demand. Chip, we navigate the unknowns every single year, but what is your outlook for grains as we head into 2023? Yeah, I agree with Arlen. I think the thing that's different this year potentially, uh, and I think the January and first half of February weather in South America is going to be key to this, how fast we rebuild the supply. We know it's going to be the most expensive crop we've put out in history, so margins are shrinking. I think we mentally have to kind of get um, you know over that hurdle. We've had some massive profitability the last two or three years, especially in the Eastern Corn Belt with good yields on top of it. And I think we need to readjust that a little bit. Arlen mentioned it before the break. Find out and, and zero in what your cost of production is and what break even is. And when we're above those levels, be a little more defensive. I, I'm cautiously bullish, but I'm a little bit scared that we're swinging the pendulum back the other way to increasing supplies and more competition uh, in the rest of the world, particularly South America and Brazil. Uh, you know, to eat into our export uh, potential. And if we're growing stocks, it's not going to support $7 plus corn and $15 plus beans. So we need to kind of mentally readjust what our profit potential is here for this 23 crop going forward. Yeah, a lot of great things to keep in mind from both of you. Happy New Year. Thank you for joining us this weekend. We need to take a quick break. And then the input side of the equation that we talked about, as well as livestock prices, we'll explore that for 2023 coming up here on U.S. Farm Report. Well, as you just heard, economists, the market analysts are optimistic on livestock prices in the new year. But is there anything that could put proteins on a detour in 2023. We continue our 2023 Outlook series this weekend. 2022 was a big year for beef demand. Beef demand is at a 30-year high. You know, yeah, we're not quite as high as we were the last two years, but if you look at the trends since the lows that we made in 1998, it's been 30 years since demand is as high as it is today. Don Close of Terrain says inflation pressures are starting to mount as consumers are showing signs of trading down to middle meats, a trend he's also watching for 2023. Those those factors are, are going to impact the market. We'll see some, I think, I think it's only fair to say we'll see some slowdown, but I think that underlying demand current is going to stay there. But as inflationary pressures start to show up at the meat counter, Randy Block of Cattle Facts thinks exports will start to moderate as well. One reason is there won't be as much meat to export this next year. Our guess is we'll see a 2-3% decline in export activity in 2023 and probably a moderation yet in 2024. The drought continues to pressure the U.S. cattle herd, a factor that forced aggressive liquidation this past year. These pastures have just been so stressed. I think it's going to take a while for them to come back. Uh, so for that reason, our model uh, and our forecast is we'll continue to see 
net Cal liquidation in 2023. As you can see on this chart in dark green, Terrain's outlook points to three more years of declining beef supplies in the U.S. despite a strengthening market. From, from summer lows, we've now seen $12 to $15 a hundred rally in the market. We're, we're solid in this mid-150s range to close out the year. From With that foundation, we continue to see any net cow liquidation in 23. So that puts us at 2024 before we really see that tightest, 24-25 of the tightest availability of replacement cattle. For the stretch, I'm as bullish this market as I ever get. I, I love the outlook. Closes one concern, how big of a rally the cattle markets already saw in 2022. We're getting too wound up too early. And that will probably force us to have some kind of correction in the at some point in time. Close says even with the rally, the cost side has really eaten into margins for cow-calf producers. There's not been enough profitability in, for our cow-calf producers. So if they're not making any money, it's hard to hold those herds together when we're paying three and $400 a ton for hay. And Block is also watching the cow-calf side in the new year. Calf prices are $35 a hundred higher than what they were a year ago at this time. Uh, I expect there'll be another 30 to $40 a hundred higher here in 2023. So the key thing now is mother nature. We need to see rain. With heavy snowfall and much needed moisture already falling in the Sierras and parts of the West, it's a promising start to help replenish pastures. And we believe that we'll see a shift away from this La Nina weather pattern as we get into the spring of next year. Doesn't mean we're gonna be super wet through the summer, but at least we can start to moderate and, and start to see a little more rainfall in so many of these key grazing areas. If that does in fact happen, that'll stop the liquidation of the cow herd. As the industry searches for more cattle to fill the demand, it could create an opportunity for dairies. And that is absolutely going to be a bright spot for the dairy industry. Cattle prices are going to be high. The, the beef industry is going to be looking for cattle. The dairy industry can help them out. Well, John Phipps is looking ahead at 2023 this weekend as well. And as he mentioned earlier in the show, there's plenty of unfinished business this next year. That's next. Looking down the road to 23. As I mentioned earlier, 2022 left many unresolved issues that may produce 365 days of deja vu for many. New variants of COVID will sort our populations into groups of varying risk tolerance, mask, no masks, for example. While this will be a quiet division, it will affect actions of all sorts. Pandemic attitudes will shape how we see politics, technology, and each other, even as we are desensitized to the hazard. American life expectancy will likely drop for an unprecedented third year in a row as our medical system copes with continuing overload. Our stubbornly resilient economy, however, could, could pull off a soft landing with sluggish growth but no recession, satisfying neither optimists nor critics. Technology, especially artificial intelligence, will fill up more space on our screens and pages. Battery improvement and cheaper solar will churn the energy industry as consumers everywhere pursue multiple strategies to control costs. The effect of an energy-starved winter will further harden Western Europe against Russia and supercharge the U.S. LNG industry. 
U.S. arms manufacturers will shift from seeing the Ukraine war as an invaluable field test to an enormous market largely underwritten by USAID. The future of warfare will be unveiled in that beleaguered country as Putin risks all on an increasingly unpredictable conflict. China, meanwhile, will discover how deep the middle income trap is and how modern citizens can find workarounds faster than dictators can create political and economic rules. This domestic contest will hobble Chinese efforts to play a dominant role in world affairs, even as they expand their lead in EV production and battery technology. Efforts to counter or ignore climate change won't halt the global trudge toward reduced emissions, but many skeptics will experience reality checks when their property insurance bills arrive. Farmers here will face a standoff between supplier pricing and paper-thin operator margins. Farmers buying land will shrug and buy whatever is for sale at now routine premium prices. All over the world, the earliest effects of collapsing fertility rates and declining populations will be unignorable for e employers, educators, marketers, and governments with few ideas for reversing the trends. In short, in 2023, we'll have the usual surprises and a few familiar chickens will come home to roost. Thanks, John. Well, will supply chain problems also be a piece of that unfinished business in the new year? We take a look from the farm next. Closed captioning on U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by BASF. BASF, helping you to do the biggest job on earth. Well, 2022 will long be remembered by farmers as they faced availability issues and record high prices for many inputs. And that trend also hit the machinery market. Michelle Rupp joins us this weekend and tells us if those same trends will persist into the new year. Supply chain disruptions are easing, but many farmers are still bracing for continued inflation on input costs in 2023 due to high grain prices. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they're going to try and catch up everything from diesel to seed to fertilizer. Fertilizer is going to be a big one. Fertilizer prices are off record highs and Schooley booked about 50% of his needs, but is hoping for a bigger drop to buy the rest. In drought-stricken Nebraska, Mike Korth only applied nitrogen last spring and made no fall applications. My levels are good enough. I said I'd wait a year yeah. and see what happens. And yeah, it's not looking like it's going to come down any. The outlook for fertilizer prices in 2023 is uncertain due to the ongoing Black Sea War. I would expect to see next spring some more fertilizer coming out through the grain corridor for the same sorts of reasons. The problem though is how long do we see this? Meanwhile, supplies of some herbicides also look tight again in the new year. 2,4-D products, uh, especially the cheaper ones, are probably going to be uh, tougher to find because there isn't enough tech grade. Sounds like Roundup and, and uh, especially Liberty, again, are going to be limited. He says farmers should get a guarantee for the exact product they want so they won't get a generic or face higher 2023 prices. I would get uh, my chemical in place on what I mainly needed and uh, make sure it's there because the other thing we could see this spring again is the price run up and the products cost more. The price of farm equipment and parts has also been driven up by material and other costs, and industry experts say those may not soften for a while. 
As it relates to parts, I mean, we're going to follow inflation just because the cost of goods have gone up. Uh, steel has gone up, labor has gone up, and transportation has gone up. So those are all going to be uh, reflected in the price. And while supply shortages are starting to ease with time, they may not completely normalize in the new year. I don't see us coming out of what we're experiencing right now in the next three, six to nine months. It's still tight on the supply side. Demand's very strong, which is good. It's a great time to be in agriculture, but it's too soon to, to pick a month or to pick even a quarter. Underlying all of this, there is still continues to be a labor shortage out there, whether it is uh, factory workers or truck drivers or um, uh, technicians out in the field. So with the uncertainty about the availability and cost for everything in agriculture, farmers must watch their margins, especially versus grain prices. I'm Michelle Rook reporting for U.S. Farm Report. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you all for watching this New Year's weekend. Be sure to join us again next weekend as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone, and Happy New Year. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.